A lot of the music that I listened to and was exposed to as a child was like Amy Grant and church music. A uh, 16-year addiction to drugs and alcohol that played out publicly and have been off of for about just as long. It'll be 16 years this March that I've been clean. It was really hard for me to find help. I tried a bunch. I went to rehab 16 different times and ultimately like had a really serious medical overdose that landed me in the hospital and was the catalyst for me to finally be scared enough to, to make a last change. I was like, no, I'm not going to wear a sailor suit at a show because you straight people think that's what gay people want me to do at my shows. We were able to partner and use all of our band connections and radio connections to interview hundreds and hundreds of bands, have them play shows, uh, and have that mental health advocacy interwoven. I like any way that I can sort of make something beautiful out of something tough or ugly or hard or tragic. That's the reason I'm always like dance, cry, dance. I usually feel that way. I think like weird to put a record out if you don't think it's like your best work, like you should shelve that shit and not put it out. Are you a music artist trying to find a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible? Then check out DistroKid. DistroKid is a super user-friendly and super easy-to-use service that will make your music available in stores like Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, YouTube, Snapchat, everything. Everything you could imagine, it's available. People will even be able to add your songs into their Instagram stories. DistroKid helps you with the distribution, monetization, and promotion of all of your music. Use the link in the description of this video for 7% off any DistroKid package you want. Pick from musician packages designed to help artists get their own music out there, or even get a label package where you can manage up to 100 artists from one profile. So that's more for like managers, labels, and you can also get the musician package that I mentioned earlier, which is more for artists, producers, things like that. It's super easy, and you can get 7% off any package right now with the link in the description of this video. So once again, if you're looking for a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible, I'm talking any platform you can think of, get DistroKid and get 7% off right now with the link in the description back to the program he's a musician writer producer and filmmaker as well as an advocate for mental health he's been making music for 25 years has released 10 studio albums and has toured with portugal the man please welcome logan lynn to the podcast how are you doing today hi thanks for having me doing good yeah thank you so much for coming on yeah for sure so just the first thing i wanted to get into i was trying to find out more about you, do some research, learn about like your background, your career. Yeah. When you were younger, like your grandma was a piano and like voice instructor, taught lessons and like worked with a couple of big names like Johnny Cash. What was it like for you to grow up with like such a prominent musical figure in your life? Yeah, you know what is really um, tragic about all that is she, I never met her. She She died shortly after giving birth to my dad. So uh, I grew up with like the the legend of her, right? In in our home, I grew up with that piano that Johnny Cash learned to play and sing music on just in the living room. It's the same piano yeah. I learned to play and sing on. So it's, um, I think, 
you know, uh, there was always like a magical thing about it, especially I think for my dad, you know, my dad was always like, we went to the Johnny Cash Museum when Johnny Cash's autobiography came out, like she was in there and it was like just a really special thing for him. And so I think I experienced her through his experience of her and, and his experience of her was very much um, woven through um, Johnny Cash's story. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned it, like having all these senses, whether physical or not, like senses of musical history around you. Do you yeah. think that's part of what inspired you to go into music or like led you towards music? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it hurt. I, I think a lot of what happened initially was just like I was raised in an acapella church. So it was a lot of singing in our home, a lot of singing in, in church. I grew up in a church where I was really only allowed to listen to Christian music. We went to church a lot. My dad was a preacher a lot of my life. And so a lot of the music that I listened to and was exposed to as a child was like Amy Grant and church music. So a lot of how my songs back then and still come about is often like an acapella process where I'm um, writing whole songs in my head onto voice notes on my phone and then I go into the studio and build it out but music always was about vocals and acapella vocals particularly growing up my my initial exposure and I think that really has been also a sort of a uh, impactful thing around how I think about music how I hear music and certainly how I became a singer nice nice and so once you sort of started your career you started making music uh you know you start gaining prominence things like that and back in 2007 you performed at the new york city gay pride celebration what was that moment yeah. like for you like get being at such a big event yeah, it was cool. I had played my first show ever um, after many years of like the actual first show after I was doing it professionally and it wasn't just a hobby was Folsom Street Fair and there were like 400,000 people there and it was just a massive sea of people. So I had had a little bit of experience with like, oh, oh my God, like what am I doing here? Like there's so many people. That was sort of just how it started. I was definitely not ready for that as a performer or as a person, frankly, just like not ready for all the feedback, not ready to really be um, looked at by that many people. Um, but that New York City Gay Pride, there was um, like scouts from MTV Artist Development in the crowd. And that show ended up like, getting me a deal with MTV Artist Development, which lasted a decade. So it was cool. You know, it was like one of those times where um, I wasn't particularly good, but there was something good that maybe happened. And and the people out there that were in the audience that night just happened to be the right people. And, and here we are many, many years later. Yeah, that sense of like, even, even if I'm not my best tonight, or even if I don't have my best performance, like every show, you never know what could happen. Just depending on where it is, who hears about it, who's there in person, like you said. Yeah, I think about uh, shows and also um, just disasters, musical disasters in general, right? Like I've had several that were like not my proudest moments, but were like, you know, an opportunity to do something better in the end you know but like in the moment you're like oh my god what a what a disaster I've had several of those where I thought like oh my god my career's over or like you know this is like just 
terrible. I can't believe I, I did this or that happened. And then somebody was like, Hey, I saw you do that kooky thing. And would you like to have a TV show or <laughs> like something always comes of it. So I think in my, um, my, my older age, my middle age, I've, I've learned to accept that disaster and, and like pivoting and all that is like just as important as, um, the stuff you plan for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, if you're like me and you're interested in the YouTube or creator space, you should check out the published press. The published press is a completely free newsletter founded by YouTubers, Colin and Samir. They host their own podcast talking to some of YouTube's largest creators. They've edited some of the best content I've seen on YouTube, and now they're sharing their knowledge about the YouTube space with you for free. The published press comes out three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, with everything going on with your favorite creators and platforms. And like I said, it's completely free. Just enter your email address to receive the published press whenever it comes out, and that's it. So what are you waiting for? Click the link in the description below, sign up to the Publish Press, and get all the info you need on the industry. On top of your music, you're also a huge advocate for mental health, and you're still involved in the music industry. How do you think music like can be used in connection with mental health or like benefit someone's mental health? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always been a personal thing for me, right? Like I write, I started writing songs because I was experiencing persistent mental health crises, frankly. Like, it was just like not good. I had a 16-year addiction to drugs and alcohol that I you know, played out publicly and have been um, off of for about just as long. It'll be 16 years this March that I've been clean. So, But I've always, whether I was using or struggling or, or certainly during this journey of healing and putting my life back together after all of that, uh, music has always been the only way that I can get the words out or get the poison out or whatever the hell it, it is. Like it's been the only vehicle that's ever been consistently uh, there for me in a way that actually works. Like for me to feel better after I write a song or for me to make sense of something really confusing in my life or in the world. Uh, music has always been uh, the way I do that. So, you know, I think the reason I started some of the public mental advocacy campaigns that were music based or, you know, all my work with Portugal, the man, all my work with other bands has always been about um, trying to use music and the, the feeling experience that comes at a show. Right. Or with, yeah. through through song, like we all learn our ABCs um, that way through song. And so there's something memorable and special that happens. I think when you put, um, put some something to a tune and advocacy is no different than ABCs in that way um, and it's silly you know like there I think in my early career in the late 90s I was singing about being like unwell or or having an addiction or like whatever whatever it was I was singing about a bunch of stuff that was related to mental health but I wasn't I didn't really feel like I was allowed to talk about it outside of my songs and that has certainly changed I think a lot of the work mm -hmm. I do now is is in line with that change and is encouraging other artists to like not shut up and sing like sing and then also you know advocate for yourselves advocate for others and, and make sure that your fans know that like it's okay to take care of yourself it's okay to like be all fucked up one day and then feel better the next yeah yeah and so it's i mean it's interesting that you bring that up i never really thought about that before that like we learn abcs through song and so many of these like developmental simple things that we start life with are 
through a song or to a tune, things like that. Yeah. So there is something it changes your like heart and fundamental about it. For sure. Well, and universal, right? Like it's like we all kind of get behind music. And so if we're all getting behind music, maybe uh, you know, figuring out how to feel stuff in a way outside of songs can also happen through song. I also can like it's a cool party trick. It's annoying, but I can recite all the books of the Bible, old and new testament. I also learned that through song, right? Like I've I've let a lot of that go, but I remember that part. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's first of all, congratulations on your 15 years, soon to be 16 years of being clean. But thank you, you brought up like I mean, it's already hard, like being addicted to substances and things like that. And from what I've seen with other celebrities' stories, like it's just that much harder when it's so public and like being played out and you're having people talk about it who don't really know the full story. I mean, sure. feel free to move on or skip it if you want, but what can you tell us about like that period of your life? Yeah, you know, I was very clearly suffering and um, I think being kind of exploited in that in a lot of ways like by my record label at the time and just like people like it was just like a it was a train wreck era in our in our culture where like the Anna Nicole show was what everyone was watching and like oh isn't this funny coked out teenager who's gay and suffering fun to go watch you know, a lot of that looking back was super messed up. And and I, I've, I've talked with a lot of people about just like, where were you during that period? Like, why did no one ask if I was okay? I was 17 years old or whatever. You know, like a lot of that in retrospect is so obviously wrong and wouldn't happen now. But I think um, back then it was, a, you know, it's kind of a cliche to say, but it was a different time in the world. The late 90s and early aughts were not as... Um, aware broadly around lgbtq rights around um addiction around self-care all that stuff that now feels like it's um more in the culture easy to talk about that just didn't exist back then and so it was really hard for me to find help i tried a bunch i went to rehab 16 different times and ultimately like had a really serious medical overdose that landed me in the hospital and was the catalyst for me to finally be scared enough to to make a lasting change and I think you know for me like I didn't I didn't trade my addiction for a program I'm not in AA or NA or anything like that I have done cognitive behavioral health uh, therapy I've done a lot of different kinds of um, healing modalities and I continue to be in therapy to this day um, and it's, I think a lot of what was going on back then was just like weird unchecked trauma that I needed to heal from. And like, frankly, like probably didn't need to be singing about, you know, before yeah. I had healed from it, but that was just how it pulled, it rolled out. It's interesting. You know, you mentioned in that intro that I've been making music for 25 years. It's true. Uh, you know, October 15th was the 25th anniversary of my first mixtape and I went back and listened to that little guy I was like 15 16 and 17 when that uh was being written recorded I was pretty brave you know like it, it was I think it's cool that I was down to be so openly queer and so openly coked out and struggling like all of that was like not usual for the time and yeah. I think still when I listen to it kind of unusual even now so uh, I'm you know I high five him but also I wish I could like take a time machine back and be like bro like you're about to really mess a bunch of cool stuff up like get help now yeah and I mean it's like you brought it up that like you know 
hopefully things like that don't happen today. It's changed. It's more, it's less stigmatized. But like the story that I like, since it happened, since then, it's been stuck in my head. Like the tragic thing with Juice World, like as soon as it happened, everyone was like, well, why didn't someone say something? Like you see all these videos of like so many people in the studio with him and he is saying all these like horrible lyrics and it's like, why doesn't someone just check on him, help him? And then- Yeah, there's a distinct lack of like, are you okay? How are you yeah. feeling? How are you yeah. doing? There's this lack of hugs. I was talking to somebody about it this week. Just like, you know, I used to go for like months without anyone hugging me or asking me like how I was feeling. And that is super messed up. Like people are making money off of you. There's pressure on you. Like the least anyone should be doing as a manager or a label is just making sure you're not like feeling suicidal or wanting to hurt yourself somehow. Like that's like the bare minimum. And for the most part, people are still you know, not doing that. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that up as well. You mentioned like the label at the time not treating you well. And right now we're seeing like a rising movement of artists sort of being independent or like intentionally staying away from labels. What was your yeah. experience being assigned like and what either pros or cons can you say about that experience? Sure. Uh, yeah, I've been signed several times. I, I got signed young to an indie and then to a major and then like a subsidiary of a major and then you know I used to just get Even signed and dropped. yeah I just dropped from every kind of label um which you know was I think deflating for many years like I was like oh my god people keep giving me chances people keep believing in me my record is critically acclaimed and also I'm dropped my deal's done um so that was weird you know I think people were always with me at least it was a little premature probably for somebody so out to be trying to do mainstream stuff god bless the anr people for trying but i think it was just like still too pre-will and grace or something at a certain point and then as the culture changed um you know so did i and i think a lot of a lot of what I tolerated in my early career from labels or managers or publicists or whoever, I just stopped tolerating, you know, like I was like, no, I'm not going to wear a sailor suit at a show because you straight people think that's what gay people want me to do at my shows. Like there was just like really weird stuff like that, um, that I didn't enjoy. And I think, you know, I, I look back and a lot of those songs, it's like crazy that anyone thought that we could make money off of that in a mainstream way. Like I've always been talking about stuff that is hard to look at for a lot of people. People don't really always want to like chat about the stuff that I'm literally singing about. And it's also that I've been making dance music, which until relatively recently wasn't like in the mainstream uh, yeah. like it is now. So there's been some barriers that labels didn't know what to do with until um kill rock stars you know it's funny like they they were my favorite label growing up always i i was always sort of like in the orbit of the label by way of my friends that were signed to it i was in portland all of us knew each other but there was never a thing where i was like in ever pitching with or anything like that. Label, yeah yeah and and i i put out a video in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic rich and beautiful just like tried to make something happy and gay in the midst of all the suffering and death and sadness and aloneness tried to connect and they saw it actually tegan and sarah 
posted it and then kill rockstar saw tegan and sarah's post and then started chatting with me kill rockstars reposted that and said gay joy as resistance or something like that and it would just started a conversation i felt really seen and i felt um like everything that happened from that moment on felt right it just has felt right so it's been a it's been a really cool era the last few years of just being signed to a label that actually understands and respects what i'm trying to do and isn't trying to change me doesn't have some kind of preconceived notion about what it means to be a gay artist isn't trying to latch on to some piece of me and make that be the entire thing that they sell they're not even yeah. trying to sell right like they let me not tour the record because it wasn't safe during covid and I still have my record deal. They're still supporting my art. So I I love Slim Moon. I love everybody on the co-rockstars team. I feel like they totally changed my life and, and gave me and my songs a home that nobody else ever was willing to do. And it's really worked out. It's been good for everybody. Yeah. So Yeah. And that's a whole nother aspect of the conversation is seeing artists who like bring up, like it doesn't have to be for labels or against labels sometimes it's just finding the right label or the right deal that really supports you and your career and you mentioned some of the aspects of that right there but what do you think can be signs to an artist let's say they're starting to get attention from labels how do they know whether to sign a deal or not like are there any red flags or green flags they should be on the lookout for well it's the music industry so it's only red flags there are no green flags um, but no, I think, I think, you know, if, if a label is artist forward, that's pretty clear. Like, do they, do they, do you have creative control or not? Are they going to fund the pieces of your project that are important to you? Like if you're, for me, like I'm a music video guy, I love making music videos. That's part of what my audience responds to. It's part of what I've always done and been. And so like a record deal without video budget is shitty. I don't want that, right? Yeah. So like for I think it's different for every artist, but I I think prioritizing the stuff that is is your strong suit and finding a label or a management company or even a, just a publicist who gets that and is like all the way down is probably the most important thing. Trying to find somebody in the music industry that's going to be fair is kind of hard. I think the, you know, Kill Rockstars is an outlier. Their their whole model is very much artist and and people forward, which is amazing. But even without that sort of being the ethos of a label like on a major, I think you can you can find ways of getting the things funded that are important to you and then the rest of it's kind of worth it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, back to some of the more like mental health advocacy side of yeah. things you launched the keep oregon well concert series back in may 2015 and yeah you know you wanted that sort of lessen the stigma around mental health bring music as like a way to talk about mental health what went into that or what started that idea to like combine the two yeah i mean i had had a i've had several concert series i had done like a q center concert series before that in and around oregon um and then when i launched um the mental health concert series it was really just about trying to make mental health cool during a time where nobody was really talking about it in a way that felt um, like it was honoring the actual experiences of people that were maybe struggling or healing or in some process of the, you know, somewhere in between the two. 
uh, I'd wanted to not feel shame anymore myself about the things I was singing about and the things I was talking about. I wanted to find a cohort of other artists and people that I knew were struggling. I, because we were interacting in real life. Like I knew like you have a problem. What are you doing? Like, you're still alive. Like, how is that possible? Like, I wanted to like learn more about that. And my friend Sheila, um, Sheila Hamilton wrote, had she had lost her husband to suicide and had a book coming out about that experience. And it just like happened at the right time where we were able to partner and use all of our band connections and radio connections to interview, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bands, have them play shows uh, and have that mental health advocacy sort of interwoven. Like I was talking about earlier, like as the songs that these fans love are like, have their hearts and minds totally open, um, you sort of hit them with like, are you okay? Like the thing, <laughs> you know, the thing that none of us yeah. get, like we were trying to do that on a on a large scale and I, it worked, it was cool. That was how I really started working with Portugal The Man. You know, we had known each other in a totally different context. They had known me as a drug addict and someone that they didn't want to be around, honestly. <laughs> like that was yeah. I think, their initial um, experience of me in old Portland. And then they, they re-met me during that period. And were, you know, John was like down to meet me again. I did not remember meeting them before, but but after a while of working together, I said something like, God, I'm so grateful that I quit doing drugs. Cause one of the things that would have never happened is we would have never met. He was like, Oh, we met <laughs> <laughs> like a nightmare. Um, but you know that I think the beauty of that is that they were able to see that I had made a real change in my life. And I was trying to utilize that in a way that helped other bands, helped other people, helped the state that I cared about. And they were just all the way on board. They took me on tour with them to activate the shows. I got on stage every night and talked about my own experience of just being a survivor of suicide attempt. And, um, you know, we had people sign up to basically like go get therapy at the rock show. Uh, you know, it was like very radical yeah. and it was, all because Portugal the Man was down to open up their spotlight and stage um, to that sort of stuff, make mental health cool. Yeah. And that experience of like being able to speak about mental health on a huge concert stage, you see like people actively signing up for therapy at these shows. What was that experience like for you seeing like a physical, tangible evidence of you benefiting other people? Yeah, well, uh, it was cool that I felt like we did actually move the needle on some stuff like it it mattered um and I you know I started working with the band full time after that just to activate their shows we we launched a foundation together over the years from that tour through uh until 2020 when we launched officially we were building a nonprofit together in the background and and have continued to really like grow and fund initiatives that are focused on community and and by way of music you know we activate now and now i activate every portugal the man show i'm also working with boy genius and lucy dacus and, and no fx and other bands to do the same thing and all of that is through um this work at ptm foundation that i do with portugal the man yeah yeah that's awesome and i mean at at this foundation like clearly there you have so many connections through music that you can help this foundation and help just mental health advocacy in general grow 
what yeah. can you tell us anything more about like your role within the foundation and like what yeah sure yeah, an executive director so it's like a pretty traditional in that in that way a traditional nonprofit setup the cool thing that's different about this one is we um, donate a hundred percent of the money we raise so there's no expenses there's no overhead it's an it's a nonprofit in that we're raising money for the community and we're giving all of that money um, to the community which has been really cool you know I, I think um, it's been probably one of my life's greatest honors to be able to help them do good on such a, a massive scale. And it's like a dream come true in a lot of ways. Uh, it's certainly how I would be using my platform and to be able to um, partner with them to use theirs in the same way is, is super moving. And, and I am, um, you know, I think more than grateful. I think it, it definitely like, saved my life in a lot of ways as far as like me feeling like maybe music had lost its meaning or that the music industry was like jaded or like whatever the whole thing was like to be able to create something so beautiful and pure and good with the band in these years and especially like god it was messed up that we were going to launch march 2020 and COVID happened like that was terrible timing however it did provide an opportunity for all of us when we were stuck at home, when the Portugal Demand tour was canceled, when my tour was canceled, when none of us could leave our house. It gave us an opportunity to still show up around music, around the entertainment industry, and around community in a way that I think definitely mattered to people. And I, I think a lot of what I care about for myself in my life and, and certainly in my work is like, I just want this shit to matter. I want to be doing something that is useful. I want to, um, at the end of my life, feel like I did more good than bad. We know I've done plenty of the the latter, so I'm you know just always working on the good part to help balance things out. Um, and I think you know, same with John, same with same with the the whole band. Like we aren't none of us are perfect. We all used to party. Yeah. We're all um, you know kind of kooky uh dumb rock and roll guys but we're trying to do something good and, and you know portugal the man actually really cares about community in a way that um i just have endless energy for yeah that's awesome and i mean with, with these like goals that you have yes for music but also like each one you listed i can see a connection to mental health as well not yeah. that you have to choose at all but do you have like any sense of whether you see yourself as like an artist first or a mental health advocate first yeah I've never been very good at compartmentalizing any of that stuff mm -hmm. but I think I am um I think I'm a songwriter and I think I use that songwriting and whatever comes along with it to help myself help my family help my community and I think fame is really weird and gross and always have. And, and so if I'm able to use spotlight or attention or the media or whatever to help people and, and make things um, a little easier for queer youth or for people who have like persistent mental health conditions, then like, hell yeah, let's do it. Otherwise, like, what are we doing? Okay, I'm cool. You're cool. Isn't this thing we did cool? Everybody clap. Like, is, is that the whole thing? Like, and it is like that is actually the whole thing, which can be super depressing. And I just I think me, my cohort, my 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 sort of tribe around me and the band for sure, we all just need something bigger and 
better than just like, aren't we cool? And isn't this neat? Uh, and so I think that's the commitment, you know, also like, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was an advocate for communities of indigenous peoples before PTM Foundation in Portugal, the man, only because like, I had no idea what was going on. Like I knew what everybody else knew from like school and my, even that was like worse for me because of like my weird church homeschool stuff. Like it was like, I just, it wasn't on my radar colonization. So to, so to, to sort of move from being an LGBTQ plus human rights advocate and expand that to also look around at like the first nations around uh you know the places where i live and grew up and where we're touring and all of that has been really i think meaningful and and to be able to approach that work as an ally with them you know we're a bunch of white dudes trying to like help and 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 give back to the communities that we are supporting at the foundation um i think it's been cool to be able to be like hey like we don't really know what we're doing we're going to do our best to learn alongside our friends in these communities who are down to teach us, right? Like that's been the whole vibe. And I think that's unusual for a nonprofit to come out as like, hey, we're not experts. We're just rock and roll people that are yes. trying to, you know, help folks that we care about. I think that's, uh, it's been years and years now. And so I think people understand that it's real. But when we first came out, people were like, what are you doing? What's going on, you guys? Yeah, and I mean, that's definitely, like, I myself have just recently started to be hearing about, like, Indigenous peoples and all that, so that is definitely an important issue that needs more awareness, because anytime you bring it up, there's always someone in the room who, like, hasn't heard the extent of it or things like that. Um, there yeah. were, like, I've watched videos and documentaries of, like, people who are being directly affected by it don't know the full extent of it, and so it's yeah. clearly something that needs more awareness, more work towards. And so it's awesome that you and the PTM Foundation are working for that. Yeah, we're, I think that erasure is so insidious and weird, you know, and I, I, I think if you're going to care about people, you have to care about everybody who's going through it, you know, and, and not just be sort of myopically focused on the things that are affecting you directly. And that's, that's been really good for me as an advocate to be able to sort of use these portable skills around nonprofit management or social advocacy, whatever it is, um, for a community that really needs help. Yeah. And for your own like music that you've created, you worked on multiple songs for the soundtrack of East Siders, the show that's now yeah. on Netflix. Did your process like change at all making music for like a TV show or a bigger production rather than like yourself yeah no I just kept making it for myself mm -hmm. I you know like and, I am not actually very good at the thing you just asked like I wish I could do that like a lot of people are like I'm a sync music creator I can just write anything no I can't like it has to be the reason that worked was it was about LGBTQ love and and it was about um, stuff that I was experiencing in relationship and I was able to write songs that, about my situation that that were also fitting for those characters. There was a lot of parallel truth. I don't know what I would do if somebody was like, hey, I have like a, a cartoon about a farm animal and I need to like write six songs about what it's like to be a pig. You know, like I'm not yeah. great at that. I want actually, now that I've pitched it, that one might, that one might be okay. But like- You might know a bit about being a pig. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, farms, yes, but I can't just like take requests. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's funny that like even artists who have done sync placements and things like that, they start writing it under the guise of like for this, but then you listen back on it and it's also about them. Like I was just yeah. recently watching an interview with Billie Eilish about the song she did for the Barbie movie. And she was like, right. I wrote that fully intended for the Barbie movie. It was about Barbie, it was about that. And then she was listening to it like a week after she finished it. She was like, oh my God, it's about me. This is how I <laughs> I'm feel. I'm Barbie, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's crazy that you can sort of subconsciously like create something that's about you and it just so happens to apply to another show or movie as well. Very handy. Love it. Yeah, no, I can't do the other thing. So that worked out. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned like really being into like music videos, putting a lot of time and effort into that. Yeah. And you also created a web series called The Library that you co-created and started. What was it like working on a project both in front of and behind the camera yeah you know i hosted that show on logo um many many years ago and so i've had a lot of in front of the camera the behind the camera stuff is is newer in the last probably half a decade like i've directed and written several of my own music videos i've done the series stuff um for for reverie and and several other things um i prefer I like any way that I can sort of make something beautiful out of something tough or ugly or hard or tragic or whatever. Like that's sort of my, that's the reason I'm always like dance, cry, dance, like in my songs, because it's like a little bit of both. And so uh, all the stuff that I've been exploring and making has, has felt um like like that it's felt it's felt the same as being in front of the camera in that um i'm still world building i'm still thinking about um putting how i see things out um in a permanent way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's awesome and you now said that you're sort of back in the studio working on your next album which is expected next year is there yeah. Anything else you can tell us about like this upcoming project, anything we can expect from it, things like that? I'm finished. I can tell you that. That part, the, the record's done and okay. we, we shot um, all during October, uh, shot a short film and music videos. So there's a lot of stuff incoming. Um, I will say that it is going to be soon after the new year, sooner than later. So that that's probably as much as I can say, but yeah, follow up to my last record for Kill Rockstars. This one's also um, physical release, going to be in stores everywhere. And um, I'm excited. I definitely feel like it's my best work yet. And I, I usually feel that way. I think like weird to put a record out if you don't think it's like your best work, like you should shelve that shit and not put it out. Um, so I generally think that I'm getting better each time. And so like, you know, 25 years, like I just suck way less now. Um, and I think that's clear in the songs. Like I, I gave it a listen as we were like making the music and I was like, yes, I love this. I love that we made this. I love that it's the next thing I'm doing. And I think it's going to surprise people, which I also love. It's hard to surprise people after so long like hard to do yeah. something new and exciting like it's hard to like stay motivated to try to like be in the race or like I don't even know and I don't know that I'm in the race or that I even feel motivated for any of those things but it's 
I, I think, you know, being able to successfully find a new angle each time and, and run with that is what I'm committed to. If I can't find a new angle, I'm just not going to do anything. So there are times where there's like five years in between my albums. Like if you look at my catalog, it's like album, 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 nothing. And then album, album, album. And I, you know, it's like a, a water faucet. It's either on or off. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, important that you brought up like if you don't think it's your best stuff shelve it and like we see artists who are like have shelved things and they don't like it or like for whatever reason and then yeah. you know they come back years later they try out like a song or two from that batch and people like love it and really accept it so anything that you've shelved in the past do you think there's a chance that it comes out at some point God, I hope not. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe, yeah. I, I thought yeah. a lot about this also last year, just like with the 25th anniversary, like should we like release demos and things like that? And I think no. I think the with streaming and just like the, the it's like endless feedback and There's noise. There's enough like, noise already. <laughs> yeah, like we don't need more songs. We need better songs. Mm -hmm. So I think as many people as want to shelve their record this year, go for it. I encourage you to not release music until it's good. Yeah, awesome. And just sort of to start kind of wrapping things up here, I have a segment yeah. that I've been trying to do. It's called Know Your Stuff, where I'm basically just going to play like short clips of some of the music that you've made and you try to oh. see if you can name them. And then if you feel okay. like bringing up anything about like the backstory of the song, anything like that, feel more than welcome to do so. Love it. It's like a game show. I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, here we go. You know that one? I know this one. Yeah, that's my gossip cover that I did with Bitch. Yeah. Standing in the way of control. Um, and that was the first the first release I ever had on Kill Rockstars. That was um, me celebrating gossip, which were another Portland band, Beth Ditto's band one of my favorites of all time, favorite people of all time, uh, just sort of like a, hey, Kill Rockstars, I'm here, and this is bitch, she's here too, like, we're ready to take on the world, and then, you know, it sort of played out that way, so I love that song. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, here's the next one we got. You got it? Right. Yeah, that's so complicated. These, this whole like my entire adolescence is available on on Spotify. Um, yeah, that song is called Meat, I believe, yes. and is from my debut album in two thousand. And uh, I will just say that that person making those songs on that record was very sad, very on drugs, and um had not gone to nearly as many years of therapy as he has now so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the fascinating and, time to go back and listen to like it i think it's probably useful that it all exists but i do often want to just like why the internet <laughs> and it's awesome that you've been making music long enough that you're listening back to things you've made and it brings you back to like a completely different time and different age and you can sort of put yourself back in those shoes. Yeah, big yikes. All right, and then the last one I got here is. Yeah, that song is called uh, Write It On My Left Arm and it is from my major label disaster from Pillar to Post. And it was like the second single that the label decided was a single. 
to release ahead of the album they were like the first you're gay and the first song should be bottom your way to the top so they released that i was like okay and you know i'm sure you can guess how that landed um and then they did this one they're like you know i was like in a beekeeper outfit like in the desert like there's barely anything going on like i like that it song. doesn't make sense <laughs> no it's not a single are you crazy like i wonder why my late my major label debut flopped like yeah yeah it's funny that like labels make all the decisions of like what songs should be singles and things like that and then they put it out and they come back to you and they're like hey logan i hate to tell you the singles flopped and you're like that's funny because you're the ones who were picking them i i didn't have anything to do with that yeah they're like you suck and also they made me rework that album so many times like it was like redone sometimes like it sounds like it to me like when i listen to it i'm like wow that sounds like we worked on that a lot of hours and you know by the end of it it's just like whose song is this and i Mm -hmm. I, don't get me wrong a lot of people like that record i'm grateful for that record I love that the Dandy Warhols like sued the label to get the rights to that record back to me. Like it's a beautiful story, but like, my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, those are <laughs> the questions I had for you today. So thank that you. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving us a look at these three songs that yeah. you were grateful for at times, even if they're not your favorites. Um, where yeah, I, I can- own it all, man. I, I own it. It's all me. So Yeah, of course. Where can people find you, your music, anything you want to shout out, feel free to do it now. Okay, yeah, I'm everywhere. My website's loganlinmusic.com, all over YouTube, all over all of the socials like everybody is. Uh, If you want to learn more about PTM Foundation, that's ptmfoundation.org. And I also um, am the PR and creative director for Doc Gay. If you want to learn more about Doc Gay, you can go to ohey.gay. Awesome. I'll leave a link to some of that down below. And thank you again so much for joining me. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.